Welcome to this next episode in the Gibraltar Heritage Trust podcast series. I'm Alice Mascareñas, and in this podcast, we take a look inside the Gibraltar Heritage Trust and how its staff works alongside its trustees, who are made up of volunteers. In this second podcast, I'm again joined by Gibraltar Heritage Trust Chief Executive Claire Montado, who talks about the daily workings of the Trust, how no day is ever the same, and working with the trustees and the main players in the Gibraltar heritage industry. Trust's main mission is to preserve and conserve Gibraltar's heritage. So under the Heritage Act, there is provision for it to be governed by a board of trustees, who are those that set the policy and direction of the Trust. The board itself is made up of 12 trustees, all in a voluntary capacity, five of which are appointed by government and seven from the membership. The Trust has a large base of members that have been with the Trust really since its inception um, in 1987 when it was first set up. And um, within that membership there are um, the more active members who come forward and choose to put themselves forward to serve as a trustee on the Board of Trustees. How difficult is it to get uh, members for, for the Trust? And not just in, in terms of the committee, but also in terms of new membership? Generally there's a very high awareness across the community of our heritage and the Trust. I think sometimes there are misconceptions into what the Trust is able to do or it's in the power of the Trust to do, especially as these permutations change over time. The Trust has been in existence for over 30 years and I think our powers today are much more evolved than they were back when the Trust was was set up. Um, For example, it's developed to now have a permanent staff. At the time, it had um, voluntary staff at the beginning and then um, part-time staff and now we are we have um, two main in the office sort of admin and executive and a couple of part-timers in the shop that we run. So we've come a long way in the past um, decade or so, I think, in developing that element of what we deliver. But I think in terms of penetration into the community, um, we're on a par with much larger heritage and national trusts. Um, for example, in the UK, the National Trust has a membership of millions, a couple of million, and they have a 20% penetration take-up within the UK population. In Gibraltar, we've got a 30% take-up. So I think that's um, really good and served, although it could be much higher. We're always looking for, for to increase that. But I think it's really it shows that there is sort of like a, a basic want for heritage um, conservation and promotion. Let me pick up on what you said. What is the trust able to do? There is a perception out there that perhaps the, the, the trust doesn't do in, in enough. But the the reality is that the the trust keeps working behind the scenes and not you don't always come forward with information on, on what the work is. Yeah, the, the Trust, I think, works at many levels. Um, we are a statutory consultee on many government bodies. So that means that we increasingly get information um, at an early level, an early stage of projects or events that are going to happen. As part of that consultation process, which is now well established, for example, on planning and matters, for example, we submit our comments and we find increasingly they do get taken on, on board at an early stage. So whereas in the past something would might have escalated to become a point of conflict, many of those issues are mitigated for at a very early stage and we find that they're quite well resolved. 
the, the trust in the past and, and still today is referred to as a watchdog. So we're not always we're not really like the doing arm, um, or not meant to be. Um, we're more watching and monitoring, making sure that the processes that are in place are working and are being adhered to. I think in the past there had those processes weren't really elaborated on. So one of the things that we focused on for the last decade has been the the new Heritage Act and the need for that to set up that structure so that this monitoring and observation can continue against some sort of structure and that then action is taken on the points that that we that we highlight. In many cases we're also involved in seeing those issues through and moves from going on sites and site visits and constant checkups um, and just basically our day-to-day working practices we have regular relationships with contractors developers government departments and it's just part of our our working process to keep on top of these things and monitor them so after 30 years really it is true that you can come in one morning and you don't really have a structure to the day in the sense that there are things to do, but things can crop up all the time because you are called by developers and you are called by architects. Yeah, yeah for sure. There's, um, you think you know how your week's going to plan out and because of the nature of, of the, the beast, really, development is happening, you know it's happening, you've put as much mitigation in place as you can. There's an archaeological watching brief, there's an archaeologist on site, um, which is a real development to where we were five years ago, for example. And um, something comes up, a query comes up, and you might start off your day thinking you're going to do uh, some admin roles, but you end up at the top of a scaffolding um, discussing the the way that this project should be handled, along with the government archaeologist and a conservator and the, the architect or the developer. So it, it, it's very varied and it, it can be very exciting. In, in, in that respect, bearing in mind, as a CEO, bearing in mind that this is part of your job now, how how has your own job as Chief Executive Officer of the Heritage Trust developed over the years? I've been at the Trust for 12 years and in that time I've seen a huge increase in the amount that the Trust has consulted at an early stage, be it research to just concept level sometimes, to the technical input now that is put into realising projects. I think that there's a underswell or a building up of that expertise within within contractors, within architects, um, within the local field of people who you can call on for specific types of work. And that was something we always struggled with in the past. Um, you knew what had to be done, but you didn't know who you could call to do it. And I think there's still a long way to go, but the building blocks are there. And um, it, that's certainly changed. And I think the kind of the professionalism of the heritage sector has developed um, over the last um, decade, for sure. Now, your your background is in archaeology yourself. So you come into this job as a professional yourself. How do you work alongside the trustees, the the committee of the Heritage Trust? What is that balance? You know, who takes the policy forward? My role as executive essentially is to execute the the will or the, the decisions of the Board of Trustees. My role has been to try and bring a professional side to policy setting. So we've set policies on, for example, building applications, standard things that come up. Um, there was an old town guide um, that has been integrated within the development plan, which basically sets the policy on what the trust is happy to see or the way that the trust is happy to see uh, properties in the old town developed. So my role looking outside of the board is to try and promote those policies within the town planning process. Within that as well, obviously the trustees often aren't experienced or have don't have the 
length of time of sometimes things take a very long time to develop and you might speak talk about a project that might take five years to to come into to fruition and a trustee might only serve two years of that so someone might come in and only see the end of that process so i'm there my role is there sort of like as the memory of the board as well to ensure that that consistency um, continues across the, the board um, and I think that's improved as well. I think one of the criticisms of the trust in the past was that um, it was perceived to change its mind um, seemingly quite flippantly um, and often it was just due to the fact that personnel changed and the reason for the trust then taking on creating the post of a, my post as a CEO was to try and ensure that consistency to ensure that those um, decisions um, were longer lasting and um, obviously bringing things up to a a standard. It's true as well that uh, with every government there's a, a new adaptation that you have to make in the sense that each government looks as heritage in a very different way and you now form part of different committees within government as well. So how has that changed? I think every government emphasises different elements of heritage, the way that they see it, the way that they, they fit it into their general plan for Gibraltar PLC. I think one of the challenges of my role is identifying what those emphases are and looking looking for the the way to address it and to achieve our ultimate roles or um, aims of conserving and promoting within the overall view and vision of, of the current government of the day and whilst also, also remaining true to our key policies um, which ultimately is the preservation of our heritage. And within that preservation, there is also the element that you will always want to preserve and conserve, but there also has to be progress. Really important that heritage doesn't mean that you freeze something in time. Protecting our heritage isn't wrapping something up in a glass box. I mean, we live in a, in a community, in a city that needs to evolve. We've got growing population, we need to create jobs. It's really important that we keep up with the pace of society and the demands of society. And I mean, out there enshrined in international conventions, charters on heritage and the way that it's it should be governed ideally and valued is that you need to keep heritage and our past relevant to the current. The minute you, you close something up and you try and preserve it as is, unless it has some sort of use, you find that very quickly and I mean quickly in the full, I don't mean quickly within a couple of years, but in the fullness of time, that things lose relevance and you end up losing that element. Um, so it's really important to identify what the key points of it are and um, working towards um, adapting it to ensure that you, you find that balance. How different is it now in the sense that, as you said, each government tackles heritage in, in, in a different way? And it is true that this government has kept on increasing and, and we now have a, a, a heritage uh, ministry as such. How, how has that made the difference for you? I think for the Trust, it, it's helped to relieve a lot of the anxieties in that there is now a professional um, or a legal statutory body in the Heritage and Antiquities Council, which is the structure that brings together all the stakeholders and all the, the key elements that are involved in management, managing Gibraltar's heritage in one place, in one forum, and sort of like pools resources and minds on the issues that we grapple with on a day-to-day -day basis. And whereas before, I, I feel that the trust was always looked upon or expected to be sort of like the, 
mentioned the polyfiller of heritage. No, it was like, who, who's in charge of that? Oh, heritage or the heritage trust. But at the end of the day, people would forget that the heritage trust was and is a body of volunteers with very few resources. Um, only until recently, and again in the last um, decade, has it had a government grant to help cover salaries. But everything else has to be funded and raised by the trust itself to cover all any other activities that it, that it does and projects that it undertakes. So how effective can the trust be? I think as a voice on the on the Heritage Action Committee, we're well respected there. I think it's important that there is an official structure within the government structure that is focused on heritage and resourcing that heritage. And I think I see um, my colleagues in other departments as, as just that, colleagues, um, even though we are an NGO and at the end of the day we, we need to speak our mind, we do that in the full knowledge that there are departments who are working and doing the best they can with the resources that they have and I think the trust is a is a good complement to that to try and keep things moving along. Would the trust like to see more resources in heritage? For definite definitely. I mean that's always the the the, the one dream. But um I think we also have to be realistic in that we just can't keep pouring into resources into that we have to do is manage the her- the resources that we have and make sure that what we do have gets used to its to the best and optimum optimum way. The trust has been at the forefront of the change in heritage in the sense that perhaps when you joined the trust 12 years ago uh, even even further back the the main emphasis was also always on military heritage whereas that has changed dramatically over the years. Yeah, um, Gibraltar is world famous as the gateway to the Mediterranean, the fortress of Gibraltar. Um, and I think our military heritage is one of the most visible. The, its physicality dictates the way we move around the city. The city walls draw a line now between the reclamation and the old town. And you, you have there's only a couple of places where you can go through it, you have to go around it. And so it's very physical, very present in our everyday lives, and it informs the way that we we, we live. Um, so yes, um, military heritage has always been a major part of it because it is the the physical, but it's the community, the 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 heritage or the identity, the the sense of place that um, is a bit more intangible. It's like that in the heart of the old town, the the character, the, the landscape that it's quite difficult to to sort of put it into something tangible but it's the feel of Gibraltar is something that's also very important to the trust to promote and to protect and that, that's not just in, important in the physicality of protecting buildings I think it does more it's important in create, keeping that community spirit alive as well and ensuring that the uniqueness of the Gibraltarian isn't lost as the world becomes more globalised. How can the membership be a part of heritage? Can they come to you with concerns, with ideas? Yes, um, we have a, a dialogue with our members. Um, we do send out regular e-newsletters with information and we do get a fairly good response back from members who are just happy with what we send out, where they ask questions. We get a lot of questions from people who are abroad and um, all sorts of research and queries which we try and we try and fulfil. But in order to stay relevant, you've got to um, know what your community wants and yes definitely it's something that's important to the trust that we have that dialogue with our members and with the community in general. What is what the, the, the community wants out of the trust and out of heritage what, about you know the, the tangible element of heritage? I don't think it's any one thing and I think it's very difficult to define but I think people want stability they want to know 
that what they're going to leave behind for their um, future generations uh, is similar or ha- there is a link to them th- through the past and um, I think it's in it's in the spaces we share, in the stories that we share, in the language that we speak, in the recipes that, that we use on a day-to-day basis, the way we interact with each other. And I think it, it's that continuity that people want to try to ensure continues. You're in the centre of town, in the heart of town, John McIntyre Square, and you're at the main guard. That is very important, surely, to, to be there in, in, in the heart of the city. Visibility of the trust is key. I think um, we're extremely fortunate to be in the building that we are in the centre of town. It means we're accessible to people. The, we keep the building open as much as we can. We're open six days a week and we give that platform for people to come and promote heritage-focused projects. We have a shop with items that we hope is used is used well by the community i think do you think that having a presence in the center of town has helped to change the perception of the heritage trust over the years it's certainly helped the as with anything having a base means that your members of the public know where to come and it's a very tangible um, space and the fact that the building was preserved and conserved in the way that it was in 2014, and when we know there's so much pressure on um, space in, in the town centre, is highly significant for the trust that we were given um, the space that we have, and we feel that we have the duty to use it to the best of its, of its ability. Obviously this last year hasn't seen very much in, interaction, but when we do have events and we have talks, uh, the building is very busy. We constantly have people in and out on a daily basis. We're open six days a week. There's a lot of, we try and have as much interaction as our volunteer base is able to deliver. If the appetite is there, the trust will, will endeavour to, to deliver. You have been listening to the Gibraltar Heritage Trust podcast with Chief Executive Claire Montado. Next time, we welcome local historian and author Richard Garcia, who discusses his trilogy in the shadow of the British fortress. With the two first volumes, Forging a Civilian Community, An Ordinary Life in Peace and War, 1749 to 1783, which are available from the Gibraltar Heritage Trust bookshop in the main guard. This podcast series is presented and produced by me, Alice Mascareñas, as a trustee, together with Chief Executive Claire Montado for the Gibraltar Heritage Trust. Original music is by Guy Valadino. The Gibraltar Heritage Trust offices can be found at the main guard at 13 John McIntyre Square. Opening hours Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can contact the Trust on 200-42844 or check out the website, gibraltarheritagetrust.org.gi. Until the next time, keep a watchful eye on heritage.